You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. Good morning. Pastor, uh, Pastor Chuck already mentioned that Pastor Jeff has been in the book of Daniel for a little bit, as we all know, and um, I'm not going to go there today. <laughs> I'm not going to try to follow that act, okay? Um, so we're going to take a little detour from Daniel. We're going to move into uh, the Gospels, a couple, uh, several centuries ahead, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll be in chapter 10 if you want to kind of move over in that direction. Um, but these last couple of uh, messages Pastor Jeff has preached on Daniel have been really, I mean, awesome. I don't know what the right words are to describe it. I like the way Pastor Chuck said it. If you just kind of went, what? Because it's a lot to take in, um, especially those last two. But just a reminder, you can always uh, check us out online. You can go back to the sermon online. You can pick up the, the, the transcripts of the notes, what he's actually using uh, and, and preaching from. You can pick those up off the website. But I also wanted to let you know, because this is res- relatively new, new, you can listen to the sermon, the audio of the sermon, and all that's available uh, through our church app. And you can go uh, there now and find all the Sunday messages on both Spotify and iTunes. Um, at Grace PSL, and that's all lowercase, and I have n- no idea what that means. I hope it means something to you. I haven't gone there yet, but I'm looking forward to it. One of the things I was sharing with a small group the other evening was I really love that time. I have a long drive into work, and I really love that morning time because that's when I listen to God's word all the way in. If I'm not praying, I'm listening and just getting filled with that. It's the best way to start your day, so that's a new way that you can listen to the sermon messages. Okay, y'all ready? Oh, I forgot. Yep, my name's Ken. I did that before, didn't I? Um, I'm the uh, director of Global Life here at uh, Grace Family Church. And uh, I was actually out Global Lifing several weeks ago, if you remember. And uh, Pastor Jeff reached out to me and he said, would you, like to, um, would you like to speak? Would you like to share God's word today, October 15th? And I said immediately, absolutely, Yes. And um, one of the reasons I did is because at that very moment, I, along with our national team over there, um, we were really digging deep into this passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. And one of the reasons we were doing this is because for the last 13 years, we have been using the same scripture passages from the beginning. When we meet someone and they say they're interested spiritually and they want to know more, they're interested in God's word, we start with creation. We have 17 stories all the way to the end, introducing Jesus, creation to Christ, and then that's where we um, uh, give them the opportunity to believe. So we've been doing 17 stories for 13 years, and we said we need to add another story. Actually, we didn't say we need to add another story. First, the discussion went around this. A lot of the mariners will come to us after they've heard all of this, and they've seen all of this in God's word, and they'll come back to us and say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. And that's a common, I don't know, maybe you've heard that before as well. What they're really saying, because I don't know if they believe it or not, what they're really saying, at least over there, is it's the Christians, it's all those Christians that just elevated Jesus to this place of God. They gave him this God status and has kind of forced this on the world, but Jesus never said that, and they just kind of use that to then invalidate Um, the whole idea of that, and they can just write that off and keep on doing what they do and keep on believing 
what they believe. And so we were talking about that objection and we looked at our story set and it was like, how do we address this? And that's how we kind of came up across this scripture. And it's John chapter 10. Um, we're starting in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through 21 by God's grace. Um, but before we go there, very quickly, this is one of those places where the chapter separations that aren't necessarily inspired by the Holy Spirit when they did this is just in a really bad place. So we got to look at chapter 9, what's going on in chapter 9 before we look into chapter 10. We're not going to read all of it, but if you'll remember in chapter 9, that's where Jesus heals the blind man. He's the man born blind. That's when he, you know, spits in the dirt and makes some mud and he rubs it on his eyes and this guy is miraculously healed. He can see. And so it causes this huge uproar, especially with the religious um, elite, the elders, the Pharisees. And so they basically um, haul this guy into court because they want to investigate what happened here. And more than that, they want to debunk, really, that this was a miracle and this is a miracle of God, especially because Jesus performed this miracle on the Sabbath. And you know how the Pharisees are all about the rules. And so you, you know, they even want to give rules to God. No, God, you cannot do this inside of this little window, which is the Sabbath. And so they were just trying to, to debunk these claims. Of course, they already knew about Jesus. They were trying to debunk him as well. And so... They put this guy through an investigation. They bring his parents in. And then the, at the end of it all, they basically just, they rebuke him, they insult him, and they toss him out. And that toss him out, they, they like excommunicate him from the Jewish community when they do this. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in uh, 9, uh, excuse me, John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And then Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So on the second meeting with Jesus, because they met earlier when he was healed, this one once blind man believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God and he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshiped. And I think it's worth asking ourselves as we look at that and read that, um, you know, if Jesus were not God, if he was just another prophet, as our mariner friends and neighbors tend to believe or at least profess, along with two and a half billion Muslims around the world, then why doesn't he stop this man from worshiping him? I mean, that would just be horrible blasphemy. And why doesn't, why doesn't he correct him? And so do you remember in the book of Acts and, and chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, they enter Lystra and there's a great miracle also. Similar to this and the, uh, the whole uh, city gets all excited about it and they run out and they want to worship Paul and Barnabas. And they immediately, they, they set the record straight and say, don't, don't do this, don't worship us, we're just mere men, just like you. You know, we're, we're not gods, don't elevate us to be a god. We, we're just gods, the one true gods. Messengers, we just bring the message of the gospel. We're, we're just men like you. Now, that's, that's a great example there. Why didn't Jesus do the same thing if, in fact, he was not God in this instance? And so that's just one little piece of evidence we gleaned from this as we, we kind of dove into this. And so now we, we, we'll start in chapter one. One other thing we, we need to remember um, 
the Pharisees are also here in this situation. So don't think it's just this once blind man and he's worshiping Jesus and they're off somewhere and there's nothing else going on. This is right in the middle of the hustle and the bustle of the city and there are Pharisees there. So the Pharisees saw him believe on Jesus. The Pharisees saw him worship Jesus. The Pharisees saw him receive eternal life in Jesus. And then, of course, they saw Jesus didn't say anything to him when he worshiped him. So you, I imagine they were probably seething a little bit, a little bit of motions going on there. So that, all this is going on, same location, same place, same people as we jump into verse one. So here we go. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, so look who this is directed to, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus gives the Pharisees and the crowd and this once blind man this beautiful picture, um, this imagery of shepherds and sheep. And now to them, that's everyday life. They see this going on every day where they're out in rural areas, whether they're in the city of Jerusalem, out in a village, they see this playing out every day. So this, we don't have to explain it to them, but I think it takes a little explaining for us to figure that, that out unless we have any folks that are shepherding sheep or around sheep daily or see anybody doing that. Probably not. And it's not done this way anyway, but let's talk about this a little bit. Um, First of all, and actually just how this probably hit the Pharisees as it was directed to the Pharisees, we also have to know that the Pharisees considered themselves the shepherds of the people of Israel. So there's another reason he's also using this metaphor about shepherds and sheep. And I'm sure their ears perked up. So back in those days, if you're coming into a village or a city because you've been out in rural areas and you bring your sheep in, they had one really big sheep pen and every shepherd would bring their sheep in and put them into this pen. They drop them off, and the gatekeeper, who's mentioned here, that was his job. He was kind of, you know, the security guard. And so he's watching all that. He's, he's only allowing shepherds in and out, only allowing them to bring their sheep in and out. And then they go in, maybe get rested in an inn or stay with family or whatever, get some provisions, and spend the night. So the next morning when they would come out, they come to get their sheep. And so the gatekeeper sees the shepherd come, just as Jesus lays it out here, they open the gate, let the shepherd come in, and then he takes his sheep out. Now, how on earth did they know, did the gatekeeper know, that those sheep were this guy's sheep, this shepherd? How do they know that this was the real shepherd? And Jesus makes it very clear. He says they know his voice. And he even says he calls them by name. You know, so the, the, the uh, speck, let's go. Fluffy, we're going. Snowball. <laughs> Come on, we're, we're, we're heading out of town. And then, you know, yeah, I'm sure they did know their name, but even more so, they knew the voice of their shepherd. And this is true. This is, this is, this is real. This isn't just something that's out there. Um, this is a fact. The, shepherd, uh, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And it's all too real to me because, um, in case you didn't know it, we actually raise sheep. Um, we've been doing this for a few years, and I say we, but my wife, Rita, does all the hard work. <laughs> I just kind of, you know, see them every once in a while, D don't hit them when I'm pulling into the yard. 
And she has this call that she uses when she calls the sheep. And when she calls them, they can be in the furthest corner of our property and they all just get up and they come flying. And I'm not kidding, it's like a stampede. They just boom. So for the last uh, couple of weeks, several days for sure, um, Rita's been with our, our daughter Amy, who just had a baby. And uh, yes, congratulations, Mike and Amy. Thanks for making me a grandpa again. And um, so she's been helping them out and been here in Port St. Lucie, and she left me with all the farm chores. So if I'm looking a little ragged this morning, a little tired, hear something in my voice, yeah, it's because I'm trying to do all, all of that that she does, which is way too much. And so one day, I, you know, I was out there trying to gather the sheep in, you know, just like this scripture, and I call them. And they, I maybe, I don't know, a third of them just lifted their head and just kind of looked like, and they just put their head right back down and kept on going. I call them again. They do nothing. So I start to approach them because we've got to move them around. I am going to bring food to them. You'd think they'd want that. And, um, and then they actually, as I approach them, they run away from me. <laughs> and isn't that exactly what Jesus points out in this passage of Scripture? It says they'll never follow a stranger. I'd like to think I'm a little more than a stranger with our sheep, but it says they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Yeah, that kind of lived out in front of me this last week or so. But it's important that we recognize in this that Jesus' sheep, we as his sheep, we need to know his voice. And, and all the clamor and all that's going on and all that's, that's just vying for our attention, we really need to understand, hear, understand, and follow his voice. Now, in this picture that we just painted of what's going on uh, back in the sheep pen or the sheep fold, as your translation may, might say, um, we'll just cut to the chase. He's talking about Israel, and he's talking about Judaism. And Jesus is, is, is basically saying that this how do, I, how do I say it this way? <laughs> For the Pharisees, they had imposed really this, this, this way of worshiping God and following God and all the rules and all the regulations and all of this that had nothing to do with God's mercy and God's grace and God's heart and God's love from them. It was just following a bunch of rules. They weren't under caring shepherds. They were just under rule makers and people really that were in it for their, you know, for their own good. And so that's who he's addressing here. That's the sheepfold. And then, of course, Jesus is the shepherd. He doesn't say it right out right here, but we're going to see further on as we dig into this, um, as he says, who the Pharisees are, uh, or who he really is, and then ultimately who the Pharisees are. One other thing I want to throw out here, and I think it, it, why I wanted to introduce that all that went on in chapter 9, I can't help but think, and this is just me, I didn't read this in somewhere, so you just take this with a grain of salt. I can't help but think that as he talks about this, this guy who just left, really he got kicked out, but he just left the sheepfold of Israel and, this, and, and, and Judaism and, and, and the rules and all this, and he walked away from the Pharisees. Again, the Pharisees were right there, and he chose to hear the voice and follow Jesus his shepherd. I mean, just imagine the pressure that was going on there. He could have turned around and said, look, I'm really sorry. Will you let me back in? But he didn't. He chose to follow 
um, Jesus amidst, I'm sure, persecution, all kinds of struggle for him, but this man just got healed from blindness, blind since birth. I mean, who are you going to follow? Anyway, um, let's talk about Jesus, what he says when he says, I am the gate. In verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or as your translation might say, have abundant life or have it abundantly. So Jesus says right here, I am the gate. And so another description that's going on here, because we know the sheep pen in the city, it had a gate. And there was a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper opened the gate for the shepherds. This is a little different. And, and what most scholars believe is that he's talking about the sheep pens that they had out in the rural areas that the shepherds would put together to protect their sheep at night. And so they put together, um, you know, rocks or, 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 or brush or whatever, make a makeshift wall. They'd use natural boundaries to kind of uh, hem their sheep in to protect them um, from thieves and robbers as well as from natural predators. And it might have looked something like this. Now, it's not something they necessarily put together in one night. They probably frequented, you know, they graze this way and they go over here and then they graze back this way. And who knows, maybe multiple shepherds used it. But the idea here is one flock and one shepherd. And so what would happen is once he took the, the sheep in there for the, for the night, you see that one little opening that has no gate? The shepherd becomes the gate. The shepherd becomes the door. The shepherd camps out right there over that opening. And so if any sheep want to wander out and get in trouble, they can't get out. And if anything wants to come in and cause trouble, they can't get in. They have to go through the shepherd. And that's what Jesus is alluding to here in this illustration. And even by him saying he is the gate, and he says he is the gate, and, and that only salvation comes through him, here's another statement where he is actually taking on the attributes of God in Psalm 62. Verse one, it says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Yet here Jesus is claiming that attribute. Jonah 2.9 also says salvation comes from the Lord. So I'm sure the Pharisees are picking up on this. If they didn't understand back there what it says in verse six, they're starting to really get it now. Now, he brings up thieves and robbers again. And obviously, this is speaking of anyone who, who intends to bring harm to the sheep. Um, it, you know, that could include predators or any, anything um, that would bring them hard. But more specifically, it's talking about those who want to go around the gate, ones that don't want to go through the gate to be a part of that sheepfold for whatever they want to do, um, which obviously would not be good if they don't want to come through Jesus. And so again, he states that the gate, that he is the gate of salvation. So he's telling them try it twice. And if you look through these, where it says, verily, verily, I tell you. I mean, all these are like exclamation points. You need to get this. He's telling them, you need to get this. You need to hear this. And so he repeats himself again, basically says the same thing. But then he says in verse eight, um, I'm sorry, in verse nine, that his sheep get to go out freely enjoying green pastures. That's talking about the provision of God, the blessings of God, the mercies of God, and his abundant grace. And so 
Verse 10. I mean, one of the most famous verses in all of New Testament scripture. We probably, it's one of the first uh, scriptures I ever memorized. In fact, I'm going to put it up here in the version I memorized it in. But it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. We all know that scripture. We may not know the ca- context that it came from, but we all grab hold of that scripture and, and, we, and, we, and we, you know, apply it to our lives or our situation. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And oftentimes this verse is applied to Satan. And obviously Satan is, uh, is all that. And this is Jesus contrast, contrasting himself with Satan. Surely he's the ultimate thief. Surely he's the ultimate murderer. He's the ultimate originator of all lying and stealing and everything. Whereas Jesus is the author of truth. In fact, Jesus is truth. And so certainly we can gather that uh, from that. But if we look at this scripture more in very specific context, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers. That's who he is really pointing his finger at verbally and accusing them of. Now, how are they thieves and robbers? Well, they steal and they rob from the glory of God by elevating themselves, elevating their religious practices, elevating their self-righteousness, and exercising undue control over God's sheep instead of being an example of God's grace, God's mercy, and all that is God. They're not pointing them towards salvation. They're pointing them more towards a slavery. Um, And that's why I believe Jesus is pointing right at them and saying, you guys are the thieves. You guys are the robbers in this. And then he says who he is and the life that he desires to give us. And, you know, it's not much different in our day. Yes, there's thieves. There's robbers. I don't know so much about ravenous wolves that might be patrolling around. But you know what I'm talking about. In a bigger picture, it is truly a jungle out there in our lives and all that's going on around us right now. There are all kinds of thieves and imposters and false shepherds, false teaching, uh, violent ideologies, um, that are just invading the sheep. They're invading the world, but they're coming after us too so that they can frighten us and so that they can scatter us and so they can draw us away from our good shepherd. And so it's important to know because we can always come back to that Jesus was not only our gate in to salvation. He's also the gate that continues to protect us when this whole onslaught hits us and anything and all things that come at us. We know that he is there for us, protecting us and watching over us. And that may look all kinds of different ways in the way he draws us through that. But you know, if we come back to what he said earlier, it says he leads them out. He goes before his sheep. He's already in that fray before we get there. And then he says he leads us into green pastures. So we know, he's, he, we know he's going to take us through that. But also, I just wanted to share this one scripture with you. It's a little bit further in, and we're not going to get that far. Um, but it's, it's further on in the same chapter, verse 26. It says, but you do not believe, again, talking to the Pharisees, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Because the Father has given them to me. That's where he's going. 
And so this is what it means to enjoy abundant life. Abundant life isn't so much material things or, hey, everything's smooth sailing right now in my life. This is abundant life, what Jesus states right here. Okay, so now we're going to move into shepherd. This is where he really um, brings the hammer down, so to speak. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away and then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus calls himself a good shepherd right here and he's very plain and obvious. He lays down his life for the sheep. And obviously we know the bigger picture of what that means um, through the entirety of God's word. But he's making a very, very exclusive claim here. Because everybody in this crowd, whether it's the Pharisees, whether it's the guy that just got kicked out, uh, um, whether it's the crowd that I'm sure is growing at this point, they are all ethnically Jewish people, okay? And that's something to understand. And they know, if they know any scriptures, they know Psalm 23. They have heard that over and over and over again, and they know of this shepherd, this shepherd who is obviously God. And then Jesus uses that term shepherd and says, I am the good shepherd. You know, bells and whistles were going off all over the place in all of their ears, and certainly, especially the Pharisees. But there's also another shepherd that's mentioned in Ezekiel. And maybe only the Pharisees got this one, but this is really interesting as you go into this. So this is a book of prophecy, um, this is Ezekiel. They, uh, the, most probably would have known this anyway, but I want to read this prophecy to you, at least portions of it, because we don't have time to go all the way through it. Starting in verse 2, it says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. And no one searched for or looked for them. And doesn't that sound like almost parallel to what Jesus is saying in verses 12 and verse 13? He's saying the hired hand, hired hand doesn't care. And the hired hand just takes off and runs when the wolf comes. And then the wolf comes in and scatters the sheep because the hired hand only thinks of himself. And then to go on in this same passage of scripture, verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And it wasn't that the mission of Jesus, to seek, he came to seek and save the lost. That's what we read in Luke 19. Now back to verse 12, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness, I will bring them out from nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And starting in uh, 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with Jesus. It's amazing this is written hundreds of years before Jesus before this incident even ever happened. And here it is being played out right in front of everybody. And surely they knew this. And if this wasn't enough of a bold pro proclamation, Jesus also adds to this shepherd title. Look what he says in front 
of the shepherd title. He prefaces it with, I am. We've heard that before, haven't we? We first heard it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when, Jesus, or excuse me, when God identifies who he is to Moses, his name. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So Jesus is making this very, very exclusive claim here. And it says, when he says this, you know, I'm gonna paraphrase it this way. This is what Jesus is saying to them and this is what they're all hearing. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am your patriarch. I am the God of David, the, the one, David, your king, who wrote about in Psalm 23. And he is saying, I am the sovereign Lord who you hear about in Ezekiel 34. That's me. He's, he's just very boldly saying, that's me. And they all get this. And so come back to the whole reason. We gathered the team and said, why do we need to add an 18th story to our story set to share with the Mariners. And um, this is kind of that mic drop moment. What was it you were saying about Jesus never claiming to be God? It's very, very obvious through all of this passage of Scripture and as it goes on and honestly through the whole Gospel of John. In fact, the purpose of John's Gospel uh, is written in uh, John 20, verse 31. It says, all this has been written actually preface it with all this other stuff could it filled so many books it would cover the world but he said but this has been written this content has been written so that you will believe that Jesus was the Messiah the Son of God and in him you could believe for eternal life and that's why it's such a great um, gospel to pull from I don't know about you when I first got saved they're like read the gospel of John I don't know if any of you were that but, but that's why because it's that affirmation man what you just believed in that is exactly who he is and who he says he is. Amen? Okay, so um, I apologize, but we're racing. We're now picking up the pace, and we are going to move on to um, verse, excuse me, verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. And then look at verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed demon and raving mad. Why listen to him? And then others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so you see on both sides here, there's other of the sheepfold of Israel that are starting to hear the voice of their good shepherd and starting to lean in that direction. So for the sake of time, I just want to really dial in on verse 16 as we kind of uh, begin to close this out. Um, this is the exclamation point of Jesus' claims, actually 15 and 16, because he talks about laying down his life, and then he says, I also have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. Now, if you go all the way back again into verse 1, Jesus mentions that sheepfold, 
and we determine that's Israel. That's the, that, that is um, ethnic Israel, if you will, in, in Ju- Judaism. And this was the center of everyone's world who was in this crowd whom, of whom he was speaking to. They see everything from that lens. And so when he says, I have other sheep, I'm like, what's this guy talking about? And so Jesus mentions the second sheepfold. And just to cut to the chase, these are the Gentiles. This is anybody who is not an ethnic Jew um, in, in Jerusalem. That's everybody outside of that. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And I'm guessing that's probably 100% of the population in this room right now. We are those other sheep who he was calling out. This is a great commission verse, actually, as he, as he brings this to the attention of all of these very, I mean, it was a self-centered religion for sure. Certainly these self-centered and self-seeking Pharisees, he's like, there's other sheep. This fold is so much bigger. <laughs> And I think this is a, it's a also a, not only great commission, it's a wonderful reminder of God's covenant with Israel that birthed the whole nation in the first place, the Abrahamic covenant, where he says, the Lord says to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, which is Israel, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples, the other sheep, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. From the very beginning, this was God's plan, to work through Israel and to extend this blessing into all of the earth. This blessing is obviously salvation through Jesus Christ who came from the the nation of Israel for sure. But he didn't just come to lay down his life as atonement for sins of the nation of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel, he also came to lay down his life as the atonement for all of our sins. All of the sins of all the world. Amen. And so when he's talking about gates, that gate is open to us. That door is open to us. He has invited us in. There's an actual invitation there, what Jesus is saying. And, and so understanding also, you know, he said that he lays down his life And then he also mentions further on, he says, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take my life up again. He's speaking of his death and he's speaking of his resurrection. He basically lays the whole gospel out right here in these verses of scripture. And so we all have access to God through his perfect righteousness. We all have justification through his perfect life lived Our sins are forgiven and we have the opportunity to be brought back into the sheepfold, back in one with God again because of the sacrifice, because Jesus laid down his life. They didn't take it from him. In fact, they tried to take his life twice before this passage of scripture, before we get here. They're already after that, but they couldn't do it. Why? Because only he had the authority to lay it down. Only he had the authority to say, this is a time I will spill my blood on that cross for my lost sheep, the lost sheep of Israel, and then all those other sheep that are out there. And this morning, before we just move on from here, I just want to stop right there for a second. I'm guessing that most of us in this room have gone through that gate. Most of us have entered into that salvation. Most of us have, 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 have received that gift of eternal life by believing on Jesus and placing our faith in him. But maybe... Like some of the crowd here, there's a few of you in here, you're starting to lean toward, 
I don't think this guy's a lunatic. What I'm hearing, that's not me, but Jesus. Um, <laughs> maybe me also. Um, but what I'm hearing, it's starting to resonate and it's starting to make sense. And so I just want to, you know, know I'm not going to sugarcoat this and what God might be speaking to you because the gospel is the sweetest thing out there. What can we add to that, right? And so I just want to throw this out there if that might be you and you're saying, you know, I want to enter through that gate and I want to believe right now and I want to know that I have eternal life because I've come through. You're hearing that voice of the good shepherd and you want to enter in. I want to just pray right now. That's how we pray and say what we believe. And we pray through that. And I just want to invite everyone to pray with me as we just pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for volunteering your life on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood for my sin. And thank you for taking your, back, your life back up again in resurrection. giving me victory over Satan, the grave, and sin. And so, Jesus, I believe. I believe you as my Savior, and I want to follow you as my good shepherd. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we still got a little bit that's going on here. We're going to invite prayer counselors up. Please let us know. We want to celebrate that with you. Um, all the angels in heaven are celebrating if you did pray that prayer. We want to join with them in that. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're, we're rounding the corner. We're going to bring this home. Y'all ready? Sorry to throw that in there. Everybody's stomach all of a sudden started growling. We're at that point. And I'm, a couple more minutes. Okay, y'all still with me? All right. So he says that we'll become one flock with one shepherd. All the lost sheep of Israel and all those others, which is us, will become one flock under um, one shepherd. And as it said in Ezekiel chapter 34, he says, I will bring them from the nations. <clears throat> I will bring them from the nations and gather them from the countries. And so he will bring them through that gate that is salvation. This is that blessing, the blessing that he talked about in the Abrahamic covenant. And I want to share this video with you this morning as we close this up. Hey.
Yeah, so 40, upwards of 40% of the world, those other sheep, they are still waiting. And that's at the heart of what we do here with Global Life and our missions effort, and that's why it's a core value here at Grace Family Church, because we want to see them enjoy what we enjoy. But even more than that, does Jesus, who laid his life down for them, who poured his blood out for them, does he, does he not deserve all the praise and all the glory and all the worship from every uh, people, tribe, tongue, and nation, every person? What I love about that video, there's so many faces of so many different people, and every one of those, he died for. And every one of those, he knows their name, and every one of those, he desires that they come through him, that they will follow him, and that he could lead them into greener pastures. Every one of those, and we, we can't forget that, but what I, I really liked about the front end of that video, that gave me a lot of, it really encouraged me after just being involved in, in missions for 20-something years and going to places where it doesn't seem like much is happening, to see what is happening in the world is amazing. And you won't hear that on the news. You're not, you're not going to hear that, um, you know, somebody just say, hey, look at how the gospel is spreading in all these places where it's never been before. You just won't hear that. And so I, I thought it was important that we hear that this morning and that we, we celebrate that because we're involved in that in, in, in a small part. But I want to add one thing to that. As I saw that video and I thought about all that's going on in the world right now, specifically that just all that's going on over in Israel and all that's happening there. Um, one, of the, one of the things that shocked me as I was just reading through some of these stats like this is that Iran, we've heard a lot about Iran in the news lately, haven't we? And that they were behind... Um, these atrocious attacks that happened when Hamas and Hezbollah attacked Israel. And it kind of caused this whole thing um, to blow up, so to speak. Well, in Iran, Christianity is growing faster than anywhere else on the planet. And, you know, how does that happen? I mean, they're one of the most persecuted nations when it comes to Christians. And yet the underground church is just, just, exploding over there and one of the reasons it is and they were asking somebody um, they were asking somebody who was in that movement they said why is this happening right now here and they said because you know the ones who are backing all that's happening with the terrorist groups that's not your your average population um, Iranian person that's just the leadership. That's the ideology. That's the, the hardcore radical Islam that is just trying to clamp down on that country. But it's losing its grip, and it's losing its grip very fast. And this person said, that's the main reason people are walking away from Islam, walking away from that sheepfold, if you will, and moving into the sheepfold of Jesus because that goes nowhere. This violence goes nowhere. This oppression that we have as a people goes nowhere. And they're looking for life and they're looking for answers and they're not finding it in the Quran. They're certainly not finding it in the way their life is lived out over there. They're not finding it in the way their, their country is, is behind backing all of these atrocities. And so they're turning to God's word. They're turning to Jesus in droves. And so that's something to celebrate. That's something we should be excited about. And the other, the other reason I just wanted to mention that, because I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable here, when I'm, I'm, I see this hitting the news every day, it's the first thing you hit, and, um, and, and you read more about it, man, my emotions, it, 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 it hits, it hits deep in your emotions. 
And if I could be honest, my emotions would rather see the wrath of God poured out than the mercy and the grace of God poured out. But my emotions are not my shepherd. <laughs> my emotions are coming straight from God's word. And so we have to remember, I'm encouraging myself first and I'm encouraging all of us to remember that Jesus is the only answer. The cross is the only answer. As we see all this going on over there, he is the only answer and he is sovereign. He is over this. And let's keep pointing our emotions and our hearts to him and to him alone. Last thing I'm, I'm, I'm going to say and then we're going um, to pray. Um, to be a, a part, you know, they said, what will you do at the end of that? Here at Grace, we've been involved in Frontier Missions for quite some time. We've adopted two unreached people groups, the Mariners of Southeast Asia and then the Mountain People of Central Asia. And that was us when it says, what can you do? What will you do? That was us saying, well, this is what we will do. We don't know how this plays out, but we're going to jump in and do this because we know these are those other sheep and we want to see those sheep drawn in. And I think it's really important too as we think about that. I know it's just a name and it's just a people group and sometimes it's just one picture up on the screen. Screen, But those are our future brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are our future fellow heirs in all the promises of God and they're just waiting. They haven't heard it yet and they're just waiting for somebody to come and tell them. And so that's why we're trying to generate more excitement, more, bring in more national missionaries in, in both situations, more creative platforms, anything that we can possibly do so that they can have access to the gospel. That's why we pray, that's why we send, and that's especially why we go. And so I want to invite our Southeast Asia team. We have five people going, including myself. If you guys could come on up front and join me up front. And one thing I want to point out, as I say we go, it's not just we go. It's not us five, we go. We all go. You all are behind us in your prayers. You guys have been behind us in your support. You guys and we as a church have been behind what we're doing with the Mariners for 13 plus years now. And so um, as we pray, I want you to consider this is a much larger team. This is half of the team that will be there on the ground. The other ha half is our national missionaries that are always on the front line there. So think of us as a team of 10. It's not just a team of five as you pray. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Chuck. Go ahead and pray for us. I'm intentionally standing behind them, uh, representing all of you, because we, we want them to know that we are behind them as they obey, obey God's command to go. And so if you would just join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you. Your word is clear. It's not ambiguous. It said go and make disciples. We thank you, Lord, for these who are obeying your command to go. We thank you, Father God, that they have spent time praying, preparing, studying, um, just blending together as a team. And God, we thank you that they are ready. And God, we pray that you would remove every doubt from their mind, every bit of fear or anxiety. We pray that it would be cast down in Jesus' name. And we pray that they would be filled with a holy confidence because of you because of your word, because of your calling, because of um, their, their act of obedience. We pray that they would know
that you are with them and that you are going before them. And we pray that you would keep this team in unity as they go, that they would stay in tune with you and they would be unified um, together as a team. And we pray that as they land in their destination, you would quickly join them to the national team. God, that there would be almost instantaneous connection and bonding and they would um, feel that they are as one in their efforts to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people in this area, the Mariners. We pray, God, that you would um, cause the team to go forth and to boldly proclaim the gospel, but also with wisdom, God, um, in, in considering the area in which they're going. We pray that you would use the English Up platform, Father God, to advance the gospel. We pray that you will continue to develop that platform, and we pray that you would speak through it the redeeming message of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that there would be, um, again, a hedge of protection, God, as they go, and that you would prepare hearts we, we know that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit calls them, draws them. So we pray that you would be preparing hearts and drawing people even now so when they go and when they sow seed and when they water seed, it will produce uh, the eternal life that you intend in many souls. God, we thank you, God, for their obedience. And Lord, uh, throughout this trip, remind us to be praying for them. And Lord, with them, we pray for their loved ones here, that you give them peace and assurance that their loved ones are going in the obedience of God. And the safest place in the world is in the will of God. So God, give these families peace as these go in obedience and advance the gospel through them, we pray. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.